descriptions of acts of violence or of a sexual nature and are for people that are 18 years or older heed my warning people i do not get the facts of these cases off the internet or from some television show these facts i'm retelling were presented to me by the victims of the crime or the perpetrators who committed the crimes. My descriptions of the crime scenes are what I saw with my own two eyes. If you are going to get offended, turn this podcast off now. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Real Life, Real Crime, The Hotline. And, y'all, we've done several of these hotline episodes and i'm woody overton your host as always today we're going to be talking about case of jessica chambers now if you're not familiar with it then i suggest you go watch the documentaries that are on it or google it etc because i'm going to be taking direct questions from our patron members and our dream team members that recommend it i look at this case and see what it is I could come up with, right? And y'all, I looked at it, and it's just absolutely the most horrible example of police work I've ever seen in my entire life. Also, prosecutorial or district attorney work that I've ever seen in my entire life. It's just crazy. And what gets me so much about it is it's handled so badly that they had to try him two times, Quentin Tellish, y'all, the, the guy that's accused of murdering her. They tried him two separate times, and, you know, it's just everything from the get-go, from the, as soon as she was discovered until second, the end of the second trial, which was a hung jury also. It's just a fucking joke, man. The real losers in this situation are Jessica Chambers family members i mean for them to have to sit through this shit show of prosecution it's just horrible that and that's what got me a little pissed off about this one and you know what i'm number one pro law enforcement okay i'm number one pro district attorney but i also believe that if you don't know what the fuck you're doing you need to call somebody right there's no shame or there are no stupid questions and even the people that they called, man, shit, some of them, when it came to trial, it's just ridiculous. So I'm sure I'll be banned from northern Mississippi after I get done with this episode. But 
we're going to get right into it. Now, a lot of these questions are texted in and a couple of them are audio. So bear with me. And I'm going to answer the questions directly and I add my thoughts to their questions. And so stay tuned. But I appreciate y'all, each and every one of you for listening. And let's get started. Our first question comes from Kim in Central Florida, who's a huge fan of the show. Kim, you know I love you. Um, and thank you for calling in the question. So here it is. This is Kim, Central Florida. I have um, a two-part question about Jessica Chambers. The first part is, um, if you would have been one of the first responders on the scene, what would have been the first thing that you did to secure the scene? The second part of the question is, what mistakes do you think that the first responders there made in making this such a difficult case to solve? Thanks. Bye. Hey, Kim. Thank you. And I guess that's good, a good place to start, right? The first responders show up on the scene, y'all. It's a burning vehicle that's jammed up against the fence, right? First responders, if you don't know, from outside the country, uh, it can be paramedics or firemen or even uh, law enforcement, right? The first respondent, the first ones to respond to the scene. Now, this fire department was largely made up of volunteer members, but they still train them. I mean, they don't just take anybody off the street and you don't have any training and just give you a helmet and say, hey, go put out a fire, right? And all the volunteer firemen I've worked with over the years are just wonderful people, and they truly do care about helping, et cetera. So anyway, but the first thing, Kim, I don't don't think the first responders messed up anything, all right? Let me say that. They are concerned with responding to the scene maintaining life or saving life if they can, and, of course, putting out the fire. So then that's what they did. And when they arrived upon the scene, they see Jessica Chambers coming out of the woods, and she's saying something that appeared to be Derek or Eric or whatever, but she's burnt to shit. And so they render her first aid and do what they can and hurry up and get her to the hospital. But I don't think... That, and I don't know that this is crazy, but it certainly sounds bad, right? That, that she's saying this name or appears to be saying a name. But you know what? When your body is burnt to shit like that, I have to agree with the experts that testified later on. I don't think that she could say anything. I mean, you could ask her who did it, and she might have said Donald Trump. Hell, who knows? But I don't think she's enunciating clearly or could really comprehend because your body is in shock. And when she was burned as badly as she was, yeah, I mean, it's just it's no fucking way that she's, I think that she can even fully comprehend what she was saying, but that's my personal opinion. I wasn't there. So I don't think they screwed anything up, Kim. The police fucked everything up, all right? First of all, they should have arrived on scene, and once they knew they had a burned girl and they observed that, they immediately should have swapped it to a crime scene. Now, what I would have done is called in back up as much as I could get and started to get some control on the outer limits of the scene, right? Taped off an area like you wouldn't believe, even though the firefighters are there working. The second thing I would have done is I would have assigned somebody to take the name of every 
firefighter or every person who had been inside the scene where the car is, every person that had contact with Jessica Chambers, I want a log, all right? If possible, if you have video equipment, I would have had a video going on and you video the crowd. That would have excluded this theory that there was a black guy in the crowd that, you know, had a strange look on his face, whatever, and they told him he couldn't be there. At least they would have had video footage of him. But the main thing is maintaining the integrity of the crime scene. Now, look, every crime scene is not going to be the same. You're not going to have the chance to show up and the body's already dead and, and section off whatever and do it correctly. And every crime scene is not going to be during the daytime or in a confined space. But they should have, as soon as possible, as soon as the vehicle was distinguished, and after getting a list of everybody that was there, because of the volunteer firemen, God bless them, I love them all, but they, I mean, they, they get excited. And, you know, I'm sure every one of them wants to be involved in putting out the car fire and all that. And yes, water will destroy evidence and stuff like that. But shit, what are you going to do? Let the car burn to the ground? It had to be put out. But as soon as it's extinguished, I would already have the log of all the firemen, and I would have sent somebody to get all their statements of exactly what they saw and what they observed independent of each other without let them talking to each other, especially when you know it's, I mean, it's a crime or appears that, that it's going to be a crime because she didn't die until the next morning. But most importantly, how in the hell do you not search the area for evidence? All they did was collect evidence that was right in the immediate vicinity of the car. Now, the victim, Jessica Chambers, comes from the woods, and, and the car is jammed up against a fence with a gate, and they admit they never looked on the other side of the fucking gate. I mean, how do you not do that? I would have I extended it out a quarter of a mile just on the, on the chance, especially go search the direction that she comes from. I mean, hell, that might have been a gas can in there. That might have been a lighter with, with some DNA on it. it might, I mean... It could have been anything. Hell, the, the bad guy might still be there. I mean, shit, they admit later on that they never looked outside the vicinity of the car. Well, you know what that's called? That's called small department, no training. I mean, they could have borrowed lights. They could have called out state police crime lab. They could have lit up the whole area. They should have done a grid search once the area was cordoned off and literally gone through the surrounding area with a fine-tooth comb. And I don't give a shit if it's a beer can that appears to be 20 years old, crushed with rust on it, that's inside that crime scene, I'm taking it to process it for evidence. And I firmly believe, I know without a shadow of a doubt, they fucked it up from the get-go right there because there's no such thing as a perfect crime. I don't even care if you burn the car. You are going to leave evidence. Now, she didn't come out of the car when they got there. She came from the wooded area. They never searched the area. They admit, nope, yeah, we collected right on the side of the car, the evidence, and we never looked anywhere else. Unbelievable. Blows my mind. Now, they could have gone, they could admit that they made the mistake and gone back the next day and looked. They didn't. They never looked. How do you not cross the fence? How do you not go to the area that the victim comes from and see where she came from? I mean, it's amazing. Blows my mind. And just, I get it. They're 
head honcho guy was out of town and he's on the phone call trying to give these people directions. Well, he didn't know what the fuck he was doing either. And he proved that when he testified in the first trial, he's a bumbling idiot on the stand. So just really horrible. And I think the whole case was lost right there against Quintellis was lost right there by them not processing that scene correctly. All right, let's go to the next question. Okay, our next question comes from Cassie Wallace from Bowling Green, Kentucky. Cassie, you know we love you. She's awesome, a patron member and dream team moderator. So let's listen up to what Cassie has to say. Okay, so Cassie, I just answered Kim from Florida. Question about that on responding to the scene and how I think they should handle it differently. The mystery man. Okay, absolutely. If it was, I, first of all, I don't think Quentin would have been standing there. Um, I don't know some murderers like to come back and watch the commotion of the, the crime scenes they committed, but no, I believe Quentin, Quentin ran like a little bitch and got the fuck out of town. Now, as far as some black guy standing there in, in the crowd and the one guy saying that he saw him and told him he couldn't be there or whatever, uh, I don't know about that shit. You have a lot of looky-loos in the country. If they see a car fire and the road shut down, well, you know what? They can't go anywhere. They're going to get out of the car and walk up to see what's going on, their curiosity, right? And so I don't put any stock in that, and I definitely don't believe it was Quentin Tellis. And the fact that, was never pursued or whatever. Shame again on the police department. If like you know what, again, when they established on the crime scene, I would have got the name of every swinging Tom, Dick, and Harry, or Harriet that was on the scene, male or female. If you in my crowd, I'm gonna find out who you are in case I do need something like this happens and and it comes up because the defense attorney loves some unidentified. Black man standing in the crowd, they blame it on him, right? Uh, so yeah, that was a fuck up on their part. But I don't, I don't think that was anything to that. But I certainly would have followed up on it, Cassie. But thank you for your question, dear. Hey y'all, the next question is a texted in question. It says regarding Chambers' case, how easy is it to pass a polygraph? I'm unconvinced Tellus did it, though I do think he's capable, and this is. One of those anonymous patron members that sent this in, but I appreciate you sending it in, whoever you are. And some people don't like their voice on the radio. I get that too. Or on the podcast, I guess you should say, not radio. Y'all, I am a state licensed and board certified polygraphist or lie detector examiner. And what they're talking about is supposedly Quintellis took a polygraph examination and passed it. I'm calling bullshit. Okay. Now listen. I do not think this guy has the mental capacity to beat a polygraph test or what that's called. Y'all is a countermeasure. A countermeasure is a deliberate attempt on the part of the, an examinee to do something to alter the outcome of the test. There's three types of countermeasures. There's mental, physical, and narcotic. All right. I have all the websites on how to beat the polygraph, how to steam the polygraph, anti-polygraph.org, et cetera. 
and I read them all the time. They do have a lot of true and correct tests and information on those sites. But the one thing they don't tell you is using the countermeasure never makes a guilty person look innocent. It just messes up the charts 99% of the time and it makes more they can't be scored and you get a result of inconclusive. And I don't know who did Quintellis' polygraph or if it was even a polygraph because there's voice stress tests and those are, they prove you have a better chance of flipping a coin and getting it right than, than using that. But some small law enforcement agencies still use it as an interrogation tool to try to get people to confess. And there's, as far as I know, that in the state of Mississippi, there's no license or requirement to have that. So they could have paid anybody to come in and run a supposed polygraph. I would have to look at the charts and everything and see what the deal is. But even then, you have good and bad in every profession, and they're just like there's good cops and bad cops. There's good polygraphists and bad polygraphists, and there's nothing to say that his family didn't know the, the polygraph examiner or pay him off or whatever. But do I think he beat a polygraph? Hell no. And I just I don't even know if he took one. So I don't, I don't that was never elaborated on. I heard it mentioned in there at some point, but it is not easy to beat a polygraph. If the examiner knows what they're doing, and I can promise you, you don't want to come take one with me and try to cheat me or beat me. So, but thank you for your question, anonymous, whoever you are. I love you and I appreciate you. And thank you for being a patron member. Y'all, if you have this hotline number, you know you're near and dear to my heart. I love all my fans, but you're near and dear to the heart because for supporting us financially. Let's look at our next question. Okay, our next question is from our dear friend and some huge supporter of the show, Sam from Dallas. So let's see what Sam has to say. Hey, Sam from Dallas here. Um, the, the programs that I've listened to, be it on TV or podcast, make a, an issue of how they handle the crime scene. And I'd love to hear more about that. And I'm curious, from your experience, they, so the car that they moved, apparently prematurely, was burned and then sprayed, you know, by the fire hoses. Would any evidence have survived from that? Um, anything that you have to say on this case, I'm actually interested. I'll make one more comment, and that is, uh, as a juror, I would never have convicted Quentin. I, there was enough reasonable doubt for me with two unpursued suspects, uh, Derek Holmes and the mysterious guy with the, you know, stairs. So I wouldn't have convicted him. Anyway, curious to hear what you have to say. Have a good day. Bye. All right, Sam, thank you. You brought up one point that I didn't touch on earlier on the crime scene. You're right. They they should have not moved the vehicle until after it was properly processed. And then even then, they took the vehicle and just put it out in like a storage yard, like a tow yard for the sheriff's office, like impound or something, right? And just left it out to the elements. What I would have done is had Louisiana State Police Crime Lab process what they could in the field. And we've done this before. I had, I had a murder on Christmas Eve where... We were praying that it wasn't a murder. I was praying the guy got drunk and fell asleep in his car. But we didn't get the autopsy done until the day after Christmas. But anyway, the guy was burned 
to death in his car. And the autopsy showed that he had been stabbed to death. Then we had to go back and work it. But still, the we photographed and processed what we could at that time and still tarped and wrapped the car and had it sent it in for processing. So they should have processed it, filmed it, videotaped every square inch of it. As I always say, like, you, like you're working a homicide, which means you never get another chance to go back, you video or take pictures of everything. Because you can't, I can't tell you how many times I've gone back, especially in cold cases and stuff, or even on active cases, gone back and looked at the photographs or the video when it came out, and I see something I didn't see before because it was dark or whatever, right? Somebody else is shooting the video. But I would have videoed that sucker to death. I would have photographed it a million times over. Then got what they call a roll rollback tow truck, which is one that rolls back and has a bed that lifts up. And I would have winched it up on that thing, and I would have tarped the shit out of it, right? That way, if there is any possibility of evidence, even though it may be slim, right? The, the, I mean, those are high-pressure water hoses and foam and all that stuff with chemicals, whatever they use. But it doesn't mean something didn't get stuck under the seat. Something just could have been something. And they take it and stick it out in an impound yard because they're so damn sure of themselves. It's like a calamity of errors, right? They're so damn sure of themselves that they're going to get their man or whatever. They just fucked up the evidence. I mean, it, it, they take it. And not only do they not send it to the crime lab to be processed just in case there was something which gives a defense attorney a field day, but they, then they put it out there what's in a secure lot. That's bullshit. Anybody could have crossed those fences and, and had access to the car. They would have never had, they found something later on. If they had found a video of Quentin Tellis in the car, or lighting a car on fire inside the car after that, a good defense attorney would just said it was planted after the fact. That's why you maintain a chain of custody of the evidence from the time you get it until the time the trial is done, uh, even after the trial is done. So, yeah, they another huge error on their part and a joke. And let me tell you something. I would have not found him guilty of shit, not because he's not guilty. I know that bastard did it. I promise you. He killed her, but reasonable doubt is reasonable doubt. Okay. And there's so much reasonable doubt in this case, not because of lack of evidence per se that Quentin Tellis did it, but because the evidence that wasn't collected and the evidence that was collected was presented in such a shit fashion. I mean, what a, what a fucking joke. Uh, like the federal investigator had asked him, uh, this interview on him and he admits, yeah, it keeps changing the story, right? Quinn Tellis does after they present him with the fact, well, no, we know you were with you. You lied. You weren't with your friend, your alibi, you lied. I mean, why does he keep lying y'all? Because he's fucking guilty. And the one thing that I always tell bad guys is one thing that never changes is the truth. Right? So he keeps lying and he changes his story when they feed him more evidence that he had to change the story. The fucking agent gets him to admit, that he deletes all the text messages and, and contacts from his phone with Jessica Chambers immediately after the murder. He never asked him why. Tell us, said, yeah, I deleted it. He fucking never asked him why. He gets up and, and leaves the room. What a jackass he must have felt like on the witness stand. I mean, what did they find this Yahoo? 
and and he's supposed to be some type of federal agent or whatever. Boy, give me a fucking break. No way. No way do they not, not that he doesn't deserve it. He's guiltier than shit, but our legal system is not perfect, but it's the best in the world. And reasonable doubt is reasonable doubt. And they had reasonable doubt all day long. I would have laughed their ass out of the courtroom had I been on the jury. And it had never been a hung jury, I can tell you that, if they had people that thought the same way that I did. But thank you, Sam. I love you. So the next question is from Gary, our Dream Team moderator and, and huge fan of the show. And he texted in several questions, y'all, and I'm just going to kind of touch on them real quick. Gary wanted to know what I would have done different had I been the detective on the scene. And we've already covered that. I would have done the larger crime scene area and, you know, processed it, everything that I've already described. And he specifically asked a question about that. He said, would you have taped off a larger area and would you have to search the woods around the vehicle? Certainly I would have Gary without a shadow of a doubt. And then Gary asked, do I think they'll try them a third time? And no, I don't. And I just absolutely don't. Uh, they have nothing new that they can bring the second time, even with witnesses changing their statements and shit like that. There's no way they're going to try him a third time in the state of Mississippi. You don't have to worry about it, though, because he's never getting out of prison. And I don't know if y'all know it. If you don't Google it, Quintel has got it indicted for the murder of the young lady in North Louisiana which he was already doing 10 years for possession of or unauthorized use of her debit card, which they had him taking money out using her pen after she's dead at different banks on video. So state of Louisiana didn't rush the case like the boys in Northern Mississippi did. They took their time. They knew they had him on the unauthorized use of the debit card. They, prosecute and get in 10 years and they take their time to build the murder case and they built a really good one um i was reading up on it and his ass is done stick a fork in him he's done so mississippi not so much and gary goes on to say that he loves real life real crime and congrats to my wife and i for putting it together and that the dream team is awesome and gary i 1000 percent agree with you so thanks a lot, brother. All right, let's get to our next question. Okay, our next question is from Christine in San Diego, who I love dearly. She's a huge patron member, gets more than she has to, and also tirelessly works as a Dream Team moderator. And Christine is one of the ones who brought my attention to the Jessica Chambers case, and she has several questions. So what I'm going to do is try to break them up a little bit. So bear with me on it. But Christine, let's hear from what you have to say. Diego, I have a couple of observations for you from the Jessica Chamber documentary. Um, possibly you can uh, answer them um, in a way that um, would be your take on it. Anyway, the first one I have is, um, I, <laughs> I, I can't handle the laughing. The car keys, how can anyone be so stupid? Take the car keys from the car and put it back where the guy found it and then take a picture. That just made me laugh. I mean, I even know better than that. Okay, so, hey, let me t touch that real quick. Christine, I was so dumbfounded by that shit, right? 
the that is strictly again you think you're such a power in law enforcement that nobody's going to question you you've been getting away with doing shitty police work or you never handled any major cases and you go out there and first of all the guy that found him there's i got questions about him right i mean he's a doper and he's got all these charges he's on parole and allegedly he's he's taking his kid for a walk and finds Jessica Chambers keys laying in the ditch, calls it in. And that's where I think the uh, testimony was from the Lieutenant or whoever he was that came out and collected. And he called himself the crime scene evidence technician or whatever. And, and they asked him, the defense asked him, well, how many crime scenes have you worked? And he said, uh, uh, none. I mean, anyway, taking, the keys. What happened, y'all? Was the guy calls in and says, "Hey, I found these keys. I believe they're Jessica Chambers." They come out, they look at them, and they identify them as Jessica Chambers' keys. And then <laughs> they take the keys back and put them in an approximate location of where this guy said he found them, and put their point their finger in the picture at the keys. The fuck? I mean. Why would you do that? I mean, the, that's, that is planning evidence that is contaminating evidence, uh, moving it. Uh, they should have taken custody of the evidence from that guy right there from his hand, videotaped it, put it in an evidence envelope, sealed it, initial with the crime scene tape. So it can't be tampered with. Then they could have had the guy come out to the road and point. He could have pointed to the spot that he found him and he, they could have put, a note there that said this was where the keys were found by such and such. So he can remember the location to testify later at a trial. Horrible, horrible, horrible. I mean, I, I don't get it y'all. And for the prosecutor, it's just as much of district attorney's fault for putting this shit on as anybody for the prosecutor to even try to let that go through. What a joke. All right, Christine, let's go. Well, the Okay, let me touch on those two, y'all. And the audio is kind of bad on that, but she's talking about the DNA that the prosecutor said, and he built his case on it. He built his open statement about it. He made such a huge deal, such as build up to Quintellis's DNA being on the keys. And guess what? The fucking state DNA expert gets up there and says, uh, Quentin couldn't be excluded 
but they couldn't say it was him. Again, I think that is a case of the district attorney is too big for his britches, as my mama would say. He's, he runs five counties up there in northern Mississippi and, and has had this impeccable record because he didn't try shit. It's all rural, right? But he's going to run it through just like all this other bullshit. He's going to run it through. And I, I, whether you believe it or not, I believe somewhere in his mind that he thinks the, the, the race card is ultimately going to get him a conviction. Black guy killing a white girl, Mississippi, he's going to get a conviction. And that is a fucking joke. And that dude should be ashamed of himself. Uh, I mean, that's pretty much almost just an outright lie to, to try to put that in the juror's mind saying, oh, his DNA is going to absolutely prove that he had her car keys, et cetera. No, it didn't. And what a letdown. And who really gets, are my friends, but who really gets fucked in this situation? Family members, right? You expect that you're, Public officials are going to take care of you. They're going to do at least a decent job and not be such a joke. Just a shocker. And about the vehicle, Christine's talking about the, there was a convenience store right down the street from Quintellis' house that had a camera that was pointing at his driveway. But shit, it was, it was dark. And they had a vehicle come out at whatever time and they tried, they swore up and down, I mean, or implied that it was Quintellis coming out in that vehicle at that time of night. Fuck, you couldn't even tell what kind of vehicle it was. It could have been, it could have been a Batmobile, much less Christine see the license, license plate. I mean, that's, it's a joke. Again, this is where the prosecutor really screwed things, man. He implies all this stuff, but when it comes time for the rubber to meet the road and put it on the stand and prove it in a court of law, I mean, I I guess he thought Quintellis was going to have some joke of, a public defender or something. I don't know, but you know what? Those defense attorneys did a fine job and, but they, they had a lot to work with because the cops and the district attorney screwed it up period. And Christine asked one more question about the cop changing his or not changing. One of the cops not writing a report to over a year after the murder. And what is the point of doing that? And Christine, I don't have an answer for you other than they realize, oh shit, this defense attorney is not going to roll over and take a plea bargain and we're going to trial on it. Then they start to go back and try to dot their I's and cross their T's. And then it just makes them look even stupider. The prosecution, if I was them, I would have told them, I mean, throw that shit in the garbage can. You're going to make me look like a jackass. But guess what? This DA and y'all, it's so rare that the head DA will actually even prosecute a trial. They have assistant DAs that do it. Even the big cases, the, the ADAs are the ones that do it. Uh, they're assistant district attorneys. And this guy, I just think, was so full of himself. He just knew he was going to get this conviction, right? Bullshit. And Christine, absolutely right. I agree with you on all of it, dear. So let's see what the next question is. Okay, one more, one more. When Christine, I'm sorry, y'all. I, I didn't want the audio was kind of messed up. I wanted it on my end, so I didn't want to give you bad audio. She asked to talk about the jury, and in the first trial, when they came back, the jury comes back from deliberating, and they give a verdict. The judge says, "Have you reached a verdict?" Yes, they have. 
and what's the verdict? They give the verdict, and then one of the jurors stands up and says, uh-uh, that's not what, what our verdict was. And the judge is like, what do you mean? He's like, that's not the way we voted. The judge gave them clear instructions that they had to come back with a unanimous verdict, and they didn't. I mean, what in the hell? I've never seen anything like I mean, they just came back and decided because they have more votes one way than the other that that's how it was going to be. And so the judge had to re-instruct them and send them back, and naturally came back as a hung jury. But I, I mean, everybody in the world that's ever watched any kind of court proceeding was shocked as shit by that, Christine. I mean, I, I don't know where those people were when the judge gave them the instructions. I don't know. This case is just fucked. I mean, it's just bad. Uh, everything about it is just bad. Thank you, Christine. You know, I love you. You're awesome. And I'll save that last question that you have for me for another hotline episode because I really do want to answer it. Thank you, and you're dear, and I love you very much. Thanks. All right, y'all. I have one more, and Christine had asked it, and somebody else had asked it about the cell phone testimony during the trial. Man, what a fucking joke. Okay, the the cell phone if you haven't watched it, I'll give it, I'll try to do a little summary on it. Okay. The cell phone locations that were pinging from the tower did not match up exactly. Not with the crime scene, not with Quintella's house, not with the, the other places that they knew that they were physically at the time, the Taco Bell, whatever. And so they get this nut wig to come in and ex- give his theory as to why they weren't, in the exact locations and it had something to do with maybe it was off by so many degrees or whatever but look magically if you take this many numbers and you move it the latitude over this many numbers look where it magically it appears on top top of all these locations oh my god what a shit show there's no scientific i mean that's a good theory that there's no scientific proof that what the hell he's saying is true and y'all i had a murder case so i'm gonna do an episode on that really, really messed up because of the cell phone towers. But you know what? The district attorney I was working with did. They didn't use it. They didn't use it because they knew holes could be poked in it. And it really, even though it made sense, and I mean, it really did make a lot of sense, but you couldn't prove it. And you can't fucking get on the stand or put somebody on the stand to prove something beyond a reasonable doubt if you can't prove it. In this whole case, I'm going to sum it up for you. The whole Jessica Chambers case, they screwed it up from the get-go, and then they tried to cover it up, and they changed it up, and they moved it around, and you've got, like, in, in the second trial, and I think I missed somebody's question, but that what this was another one of the questions. In the second trial, the first responders changing their statements, and people changing their statements, and did I think that was their lack of memory? No, I don't think it's their lack of memory. It's the prosecution realize, oh, shit, we blew it last time, so let's try to do some damage control, right? And so they tried to go back, and I can't say that they coached them, but you damn well could tell that they coached them. They tried to say different things like the she was saying Eric or Derek, whatever, and they may not have been sure the first time. Now they're certain and all this. Fucking joke, man. What a joke. And they should be ashamed of themselves. They really should. And the cops, uh, the cops' leadership 
should be ashamed for not training their people better and not making sure they did a better job for, for the citizens of that county. I mean, really should. And the DA should be just ashamed of himself for thinking that he was going to run that home and jam it down the throat of those people. We don't live in the same world we lived in five years ago or 10 years ago or 15 years ago where you could have got away with that shit. The judge in the trial, what in the fuck is going to go to take a jury out in the middle of the night to try to recreate the, the chaos of a crime scene? It's the stupidest thing I ever heard of. And I think halfway through it, he realizes it and is like, oh, shit. This is this is crazy. I'm gonna look like the biggest dumbass in the entire world, but he fucks up in the fact that he doesn't wait. He could at least wait till the defense attorney got done asking a question. He just cuts him off middle and says, "This is stupid." Listen, what? How are you phrasing? This is fucking stupid. Let's quit this and go back. We can't get anything done out here. Well, hell, that made the defense attorney look bad. And I'm not a defense attorney guy. I mean, I say that I do a lot of consulting work now on defense cases, but. He should, man. If it's bad, it's bad. And it was bad from the get-go. And the people that I feel bad for are Jessica Chambers' parents and her sibling. And they're the ones who got victimized the night Jessica died. They got victimized throughout the first trial. And they got re-victimized throughout the second trial. And I don't know how those people up there can live with themselves. I don't know. But thank y'all for recommending that case to me. I found it very interesting. I found it appalling, actually. And I hope I answered your questions. And certainly, you know where I stand on it. They they should be ashamed of themselves. But don't worry. Uh, and I, you know, I used to train the young guys that, look, if the bad guy, you don't have him just right, let him go. And if you can't build it airtight, let him go. Cause guess what? He's going to continue to be an asshole and you're going to continue to be a cop sooner or later. You'll dance again. And maybe the next time that you dance the song, will be your favorite song and not his, and you put him away forever. And that's what they should have done, but they didn't. But Hey, the state of Louisiana has got his ass. And yes, he, he's a fucking murderer. I, I, I bet my life on it. And thank y'all for listening. I really appreciate you. I'm a patron member and a hotline. Y'all, if you're not a patron member and you want to become one, check it out, rlrcpodcast.com. If you can do something, it'd be great. You get the hotline numbers and all kinds of other benefits. Um, but go to it and check it out. If you can support us, it'd be great. If you can't, support us by liking and sharing and leaving us a review wherever it is that you listen to. And I'm Woody Overton, your host of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. And this concludes Jessica Chambers' Hotline episode. Thanks, y'all.